Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingis. Shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready, because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss finding your low-hanging fruit building experiences right into your product or service, and how do we measure thee? Let us count the ways. Picking, integrating, and calculating. Oh, my. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. Today's CX Press article comes to us from Forbes.com and specifically the Forbes Business Council. It's titled 15 Low-Hanging Fruit Actions to Help Revamp Your Customer Experience. Now, there are two things I really like about this article. The first is I'm a big believer that customer experience does not have to be this multi-year, multi-million dollar transformational project. And then in fact, it's a lot of little things that really add up to the bottom line value. And in fact, number two on this list is actually tackle the small details. Now, the second thing that I like is that every one of these low-hanging fruit ideas comes from a different executive at a different company. So we're getting a lot of great ideas all in one place that we can apply to our businesses. So without further ado, let's unpack some of these actions. Now, the first thing that I noticed of these 15 things is that three of them had to do with feedback. One of them said, ask, how are we doing? Another said, start with customer feedback. And yet another said, provide more feedback channels. Now, I specifically love this idea of asking how we are doing because it's an open-ended question. It suggests that we're open to feedback that is both positive and negative. Are we meeting your expectations? It's a very simple question that can be answered in a variety of ways. And if we listen to what the customers say in response, we can learn from their answers and make improvements based on them, even if they're just incremental improvements. So true, Dan. I think one of the key pieces of this listen to the customer, though, is to actually learn from and then act on. So often companies survey their customers and say, share your feedback. And then the feedback kind of goes into this black hole of useful, uh, you know, uselessness. No one ever responds. No one ever says, yeah, we got your survey. Nobody ever acts on the response they got. So love the idea of asking the questions. Love the idea even more of acting on what you learn, which interestingly enough brings me to one of my favorite examples from the article, which is empower every employee to solve customer problems. 
you know, at the end of the day, one of the most effective and efficient ways to improve the overall customer experience is to get every employee committed to solving customer problems. So often, customer problems can only be solved by the customer support rep or only if you go through this kind of labyrinth of protocols that you wade through to address even the most insignificant or minor of issue. How about shifting your mindset? How about empowering all of your team members, all of your employees to take the necessary action that is going to make the customer's life better. You know, the Ritz-Carlton is famous for the fact that any employee at the Ritz can spend up to $2,000 to make a guest experience better. I'm not suggesting you have to give every employee on your team carte blanche to write a $2,000 check. What I am saying is every employee on your team should feel empowered and have the ability to take care of your customers. Agreed. And that starts with making sure that they understand that no matter what their job is, they're in the customer experience business. Whether they talk to customers directly or not, their job is contributing at the end of the day to the end experience. And so when they feel that, they can also then feel more empowered to make positive changes. Another one of the 15 things which uh, particularly stuck out to me was respond in a timely fashion. And as you know, the fifth letter of my wiser methodology in my new book, The Experience Maker, is being responsive. And certainly, it is one of the easiest ways to enhance your customer experience because customers, when they reach out to you, are looking for a response. They actually want to have a conversation and relationship with brands today, especially your younger customers, your millennials, and your Gen Zs. So no matter which channel they choose to reach out to you, always make sure that you respond, you respond quickly, and you respond in the channel of your customer's choosing, not the channel of your choosing. So true. You know, in many ways, the next one that I wanted to share ties into that in the sense that it is surprise and delight your customers. And the reason I say that is in this day and age with lots of brands, a response that is timely is both a surprise and a delight. But we can go further than that and say, what can you do to continue to uh, shower your customers with unexpected interactions, positive little moments, special touches, especially after the sale. You know, I think so often businesses spend time thinking about a glorious marketing process and a great sales interaction and let's build out a beautiful product. And then once they get the product or the service to the customer, it's like, okay, thanks. Next transaction, please. And there are huge opportunities to drop in these little surprise and delight moments that will catch your customers off guard, but in a really positive way. The unexpected can be really special and really memorable and really remarkable, especially when it comes in the context of surprise and delight. And don't think that surprise and delight has to mean expensive either. It really does mean, as Joey said, unexpected. So put something into your experience at a moment where your customer doesn't expect it. And that in and of itself is going to be a surprise and delight. It doesn't have to be like, ooh, surprise, they wrote me a check for $5,000. No, that's a surprise and probably delightful, but that's not what we're talking about. 
The last one that I wanted to share from the 15 is something that I'll tell you, Joey, whenever I'm asked, what is one thing that one tip that you would leave our listeners on what they could do in customer experience? My answer is always the same, which is to become a customer of your own company. And in this article, they say it in slightly different words, go through the customer experience yourself. And the person here advises to do that at least once a quarter to go through every step of the customer experience yourself, which means that you can see which of the parts are easy and which of the parts are annoying. You can see where you get stuck. I always suggest to people, make sure you forget your password because nobody has made a forgotten password experience good yet. And so when you go through your own forgotten password experience, you're going to realize that it is just as bad as everybody else's. But it really is the best way for you to understand what your customers are going through and then to figure out the changes and prioritize those changes and improvements going forward. And Dan, if I may, I'd make one slight amendment to that. If you are going to do it every quarter, after you do it yourself, let's say in Q1, in the second quarter, sit next to your spouse or your child, you know, if your child's old enough to go through the experience or some new employee, because lots of times we know the shortcuts. We know the solutions. We know where things are located. It's a little more interesting when you're sitting next to someone navigating your website who's never been on your site before. What do they click first? How do they try to solve the problem? Do they listen to all the things in the phone tree or do they just start pressing buttons and screaming operator? You know, lots of times observing someone, and when I mean observing, I mean literally sitting next to them when they go through the customer experience is another way for you to viscerally go through the experience yourself. Absolutely. Love it. So the other suggestions in the article quickly are to provide a convenient, transparent experience to understand the customer's needs, to redesign the look and feel of interactions, make digital platforms open and accessible, rebrand leadership, which was really about rethinking your values and and, and some of the words that you put down and express to employees, and finally, using automated surveys. So again, if you're interested, check out Forbes.com. The article again is called 15 Low-Hanging Fruit Actions to Help Revamp Your Customer Experience. And we hope that you will pick some of this low-hanging fruit and apply it to your business. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty-gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. You know, Joey, we have talked at length in this podcast of different places where you can create customer experience. I even remember several conversations we've had about packaging and shipping boxes and and unexpected places. And it got me thinking about some companies that have started to put an experience right into their very product or service. And I wanted to share some examples with you today, maybe get some of your feedback And I'm hoping that some of these will be inspiring to our listeners to think about the physical product or service that you offer. And you might might be a consumer packaged goods company that has food items or cans or boxes that, that people pick up in a supermarket. Or you might be a car company that sells cars. Or you might be a SaaS company that has a software platform, which is also a product that we can put 
customer experience into. And so let me give you some examples and, uh, and let's see how they land with you. You may know, Joey, that about five years ago, I uh, completely gave up drinking my favorite diet soda because I decided of all of my vices, the one thing that was going to kill me was the chemicals in the diet soda. <laughs> get healthy. Good choice, Dan. And so uh, since then, I have become a huge fan of seltzer because I still really like the bubbles. And my favorite brand, and uh, full disclosure, it is a brand that I talked about in my book, is called Bubbly. And it is made by PepsiCo. And one of the things I think is so cool is that when you grab a can of Bubbly, at the little, the little tab that you use to open the can has a message on it. And actually, every flavor has a different message. Now, these messages are literally one or two words. The lime says, oh, hi. And the cherry says, hi, with like five eyes. And the orange just says, yo. But what I love about it is it actually creates personality in a can of seltzer water. I love it, love it, love it. I've actually not consumed bubbly, so I wasn't familiar with this example. But talk about a really easy way to create a sense of playfulness. And everybody who opens a can, whether it's a soda or seltzer water, whatever it is, and they pull that little tab, they're literally going to put their fingers on the message. And they're going to see that message. And I have to imagine, smile as they get ready to experience your product. And we all know from the scientific research that if you're smiling, it's releasing endorphins, you're feeling happy, you're feeling better about it. I have to imagine that most people's experience of their first sip of bubbly is more positive because they've smiled based on the message on the tab. Now, speaking of smiling, have you made yourself a manwich? Recently, Joey, I, I have I cannot remember ever having a manwich. If uh, if not, uh, certainly don't remember making one recently. Okay, well, I am not afraid to say that I have bought a can of manwich sauce, and this is how you make sloppy joes, right? You mix it with meat. Now, the best part about this is on the back of the can it says four easy steps to satisfy your hunger. Step one: cook one pound of meat thoroughly. Step two. Add manwich sauce with five exclamation points. Three, ask to be called chef by anyone who addresses you. <laughs> Four, serve, dig in, and leave hunger behind. Now, I got a question for you, Joy. When I made manwich sloppy joes for my kids, what do you think I asked to be called that evening? I, I don't think you asked to be called. I think you demanded to be called chef. And what's great about this is there need to be directions on food. But it doesn't mean the directions need to be boring. It doesn't mean the directions can't be playful, can't be interactive, and can't have steps that are just designed to make you laugh or smile or have an interaction with the other people that you are hanging out with. I love the ask to be called chef. That is by far the best direction for making food that I have seen in a long time, if not ever. Well, and also what is important to note here is... This is a label on a can. They're already printing the darn label. So the cost here was exactly zero. Yes. Creativity doesn't have to cost you anything. You just have to take the time, you know, to bring in somebody who's creative or funny or, you know, just somebody who's going to think about these a little bit differently. Well, and that's, you know, we talked about that with some of the packaging, you know, a cardboard box. If you're going to print your logo on the cardboard box, 
why can't you print like my friends at Zajix do a tic-tac-toe open pattern, you know, or a little word search and encourage people to have fun. Even if they never do it, you're already spending the money on the ink. And now you've let a little bit of your brand spirit show. Not only to the people who are eating, in this case, the man witch, or preparing it, but anybody who's in the kitchen is going to see it. Or anybody who sees the cardboard box that it came in is going to see the potential of uh, the little messages you've put on the side. And that creates another experience for even your non-customers. And it's funny that you say that because Birch Coffee does exactly that. They have brown paper bags where they put their pastries in and the side of the bag says Birch loves you. And they have napkins like everybody else does. And in addition to their logo, they have tic-tac-toe boards as well as a game of, I think it's called Dots, where you try to make squares out of the out oh, of yeah. all of the dots. And so it's like, well, heck, if we're already printing the napkin, why don't we make it fun? And so I think it's another great example. One more food example, and it'll stop making you guys hungry. Uh, I'm a Chicagoan, and one of my weaknesses is Garrett's popcorn. And, and if you have never tried the Chicago mix, which is half cheese, half caramel, you are missing out, my friends. You got to try this. And well, it's half right anyway. We'll let you decide which half. Oh no, it's all <laughs> sorts of right, Joey. But on the if you order the if you get a prepackaged one because they also have some that are available in grocery stores. On the back, right above the website, it says "Want more?" question mark And "want" is crossed out and replaced with the word "need." And I'm telling you, if you have ever had Garrett's popcorn, that is exactly the feeling that you have. It's not that you want more. It is that you need more because that bag is empty. So just again, it's one word and and the little cross out kind of makes it funny. And they were already printing the bag. So uh, another fantastic example. All right, let's get off of food because you don't have to just be a food company. I was introduced recently to a clothing company called Travis Matthew. And I'll admit, I've never heard of this clothing company. But then again, you are always the better dressed of the two of us. So <laughs> oh, you so probably kind. have. <laughs> but uh, Travis Matthew on their shirts... They have a tag, just like every other shirt. It's the you know tag that has the washing instructions, the cleaning instructions. At the beginning of this tag, in both English and in French, it says, people actually read these tags, question mark? And then it starts to tell you the washing instructions. And again, probably most people never even see this, but the ones that do are like, Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. And they were already printing the tag, so they just decided to have a little more fun. I thought it was awesome. I recently had the opportunity to go see the uh, traveling immersive Van Gogh exhibit. Ooh, uh, which... I've, I've seen this, uh, seen ads for this on social media. This looks super cool. Yeah, it's definitely a fun exhibit. And one of the things that I thought they did so well was you know, I'm a big fan of signage. I do. They... They built signage around the exhibit that actually, in my opinion, became part of the experience. Now, let me explain why. Van Gogh is, of course, known for his sunflower paintings. And the, all of the signs had, his, uh, had a sunflower on them. And they all used the word go, but they spelled it G-O-G-H, as in Van Gogh. And the O was replaced with a sunflower. So for example, there's one that has an arrow that says, go this way. And there's another one that says, no go, which means do not enter. And then finally, there's one that says, 
gotta go. And it shows you how to get to the restroom. I knew there was going to be a restroom sign somewhere in this segment, as did all of our other loyal listeners. You know, I like this. It's playful. It's fun. It's, you know, reminding you where you're at. And I guarantee that people other than you, because I know you took pictures, but I guarantee that other people took pictures of the signs because they're unexpected and they're playful and they're fun, yet they serve an important purpose. They're letting people know, move this way through the exhibit. Don't go this way. You know, got to go to the bathroom. No, it makes perfect sense. I love it. I love it. So I was also at a Marshall's recently because there's one right by my house. And I was trying on some clothes in the fitting room. And Marshall's has three hooks that are in the fitting room. And the hooks have words above them. And one says, definitely. And one says, possibly. And the third one says, tomorrow. And I thought to myself, who decided to make an experience out of a hook in a dressing room? But it's brilliant because Some again, was really thinking because you're in the dressing room and I've been in the dressing room before and invariably you maybe grab three or four sizes of something or a couple different styles of something. And I don't know about you. There've been times where, for example, I get a pair of jeans and I'm looking at two different pairs and the only difference is the size. And then I put them both on and I try to decide which one. And then I go to try on shirts and I've kind of forgotten which pair I wanted. And I know it shouldn't, I shouldn't have that short of an attention span or a memory, but the reality is I have. So I love this idea that definitely the possibly, but the one that I really, that caught my attention, Dan, is the tomorrow. There isn't one that says no. There isn't one that says not today or that says rejects. It implies that, hey, it may not be the one you want to take home with you now, but there's always tomorrow. Yeah, I think it's so smart. And again, it's it's a it's it's an opportunity. I never actually thought of a hook as a communication opportunity, but as we've been saying, whenever we have an opportunity to communicate with customers, there is a chance for an experience and I think that this was an awesome one. Ever use Slack? You probably know that when you log on to Slack, which of course is a business communications chat platform, it says, please enjoy Slack responsibly from your friends at Slack. And of course, that's a play on words from the alcohol industry. But also, Slack allows administrators to personalize that message so that employees can see a different message every day and a message of encouragement or maybe a message uh, that's going through your values or your mission statement. Whatever it is, it's an opportunity, again, right within the product to create an experience. I love it, Dan. You know, a quick story, if I may. Uh, Years ago, I was doing some work with Zappos and they had something where when you sat down at your computer at work, you had to log in. And when you logged in, as soon as you put in your name, you then kind of went to the next screen where you put in your password. Now, some people may say, well, why did they split the screens? Well, when you went to the next screen, it would show you a picture of an employee and their name. And so they basically were teaching you who your colleagues were in this large organization because every time you logged in, you saw someone else's name and their photograph. So just a little to your point of that administrative personalization on a login screen, they actually use the daily activity or even if you step away to go to a meeting and you come back and you have to log back in in your computer, they were constantly educating their employees 
about their coworkers, their picture, their name, who they were. And so as the organization grew and grew, it helped create more of a cultural connection. I love it. Well, the final example I wanted to share with you today actually came to me because I got to see the CEO and founder, a very successful Australian entrepreneur, talk at a conference. Now, this entrepreneur created... We're going back to the bathroom, Joey. Oh, geez. A new kind, A new kind of toilet paper. Follow me here because I think you're going to like this. That is completely environmentally sustainable compostable, recyclable. It is made from bamboo. It is great for the environment. And they actually use all of the profits to help build toilets for people who are in need, who don't have toilets. Do you know what they named their company and their product, Joey? You know, I don't, but I have to say, thus far, I like it. I, I like every piece about it. I like, you know, doing everything we can to be more environmentally conscious. It's kind of an unexpected venue, an unexpected thing. I'm sensing that it's going to be a good name or a playful name. Oh, yes, it is right there on the packaging, Joey. The name of the company, the name of the product is Who Gives a Crap? And the whole idea is it's a double entendre. It's toilet paper. I get the double entendre. Yeah. They give a, you know, it's awesome, right? And so, I mean, how do you not want to buy this product when you see it? So, folks, look, you may not be in the toilet paper business or the popcorn business or the clothing business or the sloppy Joe business, but your business has a product or a service. And if you are not building a fun experience into it, you're missing an opportunity to get your customers on board and really love your brand every time they use it. Sometimes the customer experience is amazing. And sometimes we just want to cry. Get ready for the roller coaster ride in this edition of I Love It! I Can't Stand It! You know, Joey, we haven't played... I love it. I can't stand it in a very long time. And I wanted to play that game with you today, but maybe do it a little bit differently than we've done it before. And the topic I want to talk about today is customer experience metrics. Now, what do you think when I say that? Super exciting. Eh, maybe kind of. We'll see. Who knows? Well, you know, the thing about metrics is that there's some pros and cons to them. The pros are that when you have the right metrics, this is how we sell senior management on our customer experience initiatives. This is how we get the budget. This is how we get the buy-in. This is how we get the promotions and the bonuses for all the success that we're creating. That said, when you have the wrong metrics, it often has the opposite effect. So for example, when I used to work in uh, several social media departments, you got a lot of people that were really excited about what we call vanity metrics. Let's get likes. We got more likes. Right. We got likes (laughs) and followers and retweets and all the stuff that I know you really love, Joey. And the reality is that we can't connect that down to the bottom line. So it's very difficult for an executive to value that in any way. I mean, yes, I know that a thousand likes is better than 500 likes, but show me the money. Am I right? Uh, You are right as usual. All right. So I wanted to talk about six of the most popular customer experience metrics. And in the spirit of love it and can't stand it, I thought that maybe we could end up ranking them and sort of putting them in some order that we might recommend to people. Because I will tell you, I don't know about you, I get asked all the time about what metrics I should be tracking and what metrics are important to the C-suite. And so I think 
you and I are in a pretty good position to help answer that question for our listeners. Perhaps the most well-known and most popular CX metric is NPS, which stands for Net Promoter Score. Now, this is a measure of loyalty in customer relationships because it asks a single question, which basically says, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend or colleague. And there's an index that it's gauged on from negative 100 to 100 based on how people answer the question. But basically, it is the metric, I think, that companies tend to use to represent satisfaction and loyalty. Am I, am I being fair there? I, I think you are. I mean, I think most organizations at this point have incorporated some aspect of NPS into their customer conversations. You know, uh, most people know that, you know, if a customer on the scale of one to 10, if a sc- customer scoring you a, a nine or t- a nine or 10, you're doing really well. If you're at a six or lower, that's a fail. That's a disaster. And so I think it, it makes perfect sense. I got to say on this one, I, I love the intention behind it. That I won't go so far as to say I can't stand it, but the thing that I don't like is it's become so familiar. I think a lot of customers know how to game it. They know that they're going to be asked and it just doesn't quite have the same impact as it did when it was first rolled out. I think it still can be really valuable. I think it's often most valuable when you look at how your net promoter score is performing compared to other people in your industry because lots of times finding those numbers out is a little bit easier because so many people use NPS. I think it's got its potential, but I think there's some other ones we might talk about that are uh, could be more valuable to an organization in terms of tracking indicators. Well, I also love that some companies have started to to create a transactional version of NPS. So it's not just about the likelihood to recommend the brand, but the likelihood to recommend based on, say, the website experience or the customer service experience or a certain piece of the customer journey, which then allows you to compare even within your company different parts of the journey. The thing that I have trouble with is that I think that while NPS does a great job of telling you how you're doing at a moment in time, it doesn't really tell you why. And so when NPS goes up, we watch people cheer and celebrate and send notes to the CEO and pat each other on the back. When NPS goes down, we see people come up with a ton of excuses. Well, uh, bad weather or supply chain issues <laughs> right. or the pandemic or whatever. But the reality is we have no idea why it went yeah, up Yeah, they or just down. clicked a number. That we, right. we didn't, we don't have the, what, what are those uh, two phrases where they talk about, you know, the quantitative and the qualitative, you know, it doesn't actually give you the narrative that is explaining the decision behind the process or the, decis- the decision behind the score. Exactly. Which also brings us to the next one, which would be CSAT or customer satisfaction. Now, this is a similar metric. It indicates how products and services meet or exceed customer expectations. And we've talked before, I think there's been books written on whether customer satisfaction equates to loyalty. Like, is being satisfied enough today? I, I don't think it is. I, I don't want to measure my success based on the metric of satisfaction because I think satisfaction is about one notch away from leaving because it's like, eh, well, I was satisfied, but I wasn't elated. I wasn't connected. I wasn't, you know, ecstatic. I wasn't delighted, etc. I I think 
sees that again, while I understand the the principle behind it and the intention behind it, I think anchoring your employees internally to satisfaction is a problem. And then, of course, we turn it into an acronym and just say, well, our CSAT scores. You know, I think if we're talking about our support teams and the people who are kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it, earning these scores and acting on these scores, I don't think satisfaction should be our goal. I think that's at best the Annie Upchips to sit down at the table. Yes. And I think also it has the same issue as NPS is that it tells you a moment in time how you're doing, but doesn't necessarily tell you the why. All right. So the next two I'm going to put together because they're really the inverse of one another. You have retention rate, which is basically the number of customers that you bring in the door and keep versus lose, or let's say the percentage of those customers. And the opposite of that is churn rate. And churn really meaning the loss of customers. And so the churn rate is going to be the number of customers that come in the door and then leave and and don't stay. Now, these metrics, I believe, are some of the most powerful to convincing a senior executive that a customer experience project is worth investing in. Because... We all know that it is very expensive to acquire customers. And so when we spend all that money to bring them in, it sure does help when we can keep them for a while, doesn't it, Joey? So true, so true. I mean, to be honest, these two are near and dear to my heart. You don't write a book called Never Lose a Customer Again without feeling strongly about churn and the importance of retention. And I agree with you, Dan. The thing I will say about churn rate and retention rate, it shocks me how few companies actually track this. Like SaaS companies definitely pay attention to this and a lot of companies in the tech space. But the typical business, when I meet with them, they have no idea how many of their customers they're losing on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, even a yearly basis. And what the research that I've done shows is that somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will leave in the first 100 days of the relationship. 20 to 70%, depending on your industry. You know, it's about 68% for auto mechanics. It's 21% for cell phone companies. It's 16% for banks. Uh, for restaurants, it's somewhere between 40 and 70%, depending on the type of cuisine you offer. I mean, these numbers are absolutely staggering. And to the point of tracking and using those to convince people, it, the conversation gets much easier for me when I say, let's see how bad you're hemorrhaging. And we look at the churn rate and they look at how much money they're losing. And then I say, let's do the math on what would happen if we kept that customer one more month or one more quarter or one more year. And suddenly we have all the money necessary to justify some customer experience enhancements. So I love this metric. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'll just add to that, that you know, if you know how much money it costs to bring them in the door, and then even, I, I mean, those numbers that you just shared are, are unbelievable. Even a 5 to 10% churn rate is 5 to 10% essentially of your marketing budget that you yeah. spent to bring everybody in. And I, 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 don't, I don't know a whole lot of CMOs that wouldn't take an additional 10% on their marketing budget if you offered it to them. And yet here, 10% of it, 5% of it, or in your case, in, in your, the examples you gave, 20 to 70% of it is going down the drain. And so I think these are very, very key metrics. Uh, the fifth metric uh, that I wanted to point out is called customer lifetime value. And you made some reference to it, which is essentially called CLV as well. Or actually, I think I also use the 
acronym of LTV as well, lifetime value. So basically what this means is you know the cost to acquire a customer. That's X dollars. It's the, the flip side of that is, well, how much is that customer going to bring you in in revenue for the entire time that you're with you? And, and you can see that this goes hand in hand with retention or churn rate. The longer they're with you, the more they spend. The more they spend and longer they're with you, the more loyal they are, the more they refer people to you, which increases their customer lifetime value. So companies that have a very good sense of what their customer lifetime value is, which by the way, as you mentioned in the last metric, is not as many companies as one would think, have a very good case to make to executives when they want to spend money to increase customer lifetime value or to keep customers there longer. I agree, Dan. I think in terms of a mindset shift within an organization, if an organization is struggling with short-term thinking, customer lifetime value is probably the single metric that will change that thinking the fastest. Because all too often, I think organizations come to it from a point of view of, oh, well, we can't spend that much money to solve this problem. And, you know, you give the example of, you know, uh, the lifetime value minus the cost to acquire. I'm also thinking of it as, well, if we know our lifetime value of this customer, and I'm going to make this up to illustrate the point, is $1,000. And we know the average customer stays with us for a year, if in month two, they have a $200 issue, it is worth us spending the $200 to fix that issue because we've got a trailing value of another $800 to come. So we can put some skin into the game. So I think this can be a big mindset shifter in terms of a metric. And we've talked about this on the show before. The best company in the world at this is Amazon. And they understand that they can lose money on a single transaction because the lifetime value of a customer is so high. And they they intentionally prioritize that lifetime value over whatever the cost of an individual transaction is. All right. Last metric is customer effort score or CES. Now, this is a kind of a single item metric that measures how much a customer has to work to resolve an issue or frankly, to just make their way through the customer journey. Are things difficult or are they simple? And when customers have to make a big effort, this has a big impact on their perception of the experience. In fact, the Harvard Business Review reported that the number one thing, the number one metric that determined loyalty to a company was the customer effort, how much they have to work to get what they want. So we make things simpler for people and we increase loyalty. I agree, Dan. You know, when we think about the effort that our customers have to expend, I think many executives and especially people that are removed from the front lines of an organization have completely lost track of how hard it is to be a customer and to navigate through these interactions. And so I think having a clear indicator of the customer effort score is really valuable. Now, at the end of the day, we love some of these. None of these are fall into the category of we can't stand it. But what I do think would be interesting, Dan, is as you said earlier, for us to rank these in terms of which ones we think are the most valuable metrics or key performance indicators, KPIs, so we get all the acronyms into this segment that an organization should be tracking. So do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? 
Uh, go ahead. You go first, Joey. All right. So I would rank them in this order. I think the most valuable one is CLV, customer lifetime value. And the reason I say that is I think there are still a ton of organizations that have to stop thinking in this month-to-month, quarter-to-quarter game and instead start thinking much more long-term about their interactions and their relationships, not only with their customers, but with their employees, the marketplace, and their business. I think we need longer horizons for our thought processes, and I think lifetime value helps us get there. Number two, I'd say it's a tie between retention rate and churn rate. Two different ways to approach the same issue. How many of your customers are leaving? Because once they leave, your ability to get them back is severely hampered. And everyone in your organization should have, at a moment's notice, the most current retention and or churn numbers so that we can see how are we doing keeping these people that we worked so hard to get in the door. Next, I would say, is customer effort score. In an increasingly facile world where we're looking for effortless, seamless experiences, the amount of effort a customer has to expend to do business with you is something that should be a key priority. Now, two others that are still valuable, but I think if you're, uh, uh, if you're already tracking the other three, you're probably covering some of the things that these two track, I'd say would be NPS. And then last but not least, CSAT or customer satisfaction. I put that one at the end, not as a criticism to anybody uh, who came up with that or who uses that. But again, I think imbuing the idea of satisfaction being the goal within your organization is counterproductive. I don't think you want satisfied customers. I think you want delighted customers. And so I think tracking CSAT is uh, moving you in the wrong direction. You know, it's funny. Joey and I have been doing this a long time. We're coming up on our 150th episode soon. We've been doing this for a number of years and we've known each other for even longer. And it gets to the point where we kind of start thinking alike. And I had almost the exact same order as you, Joey. But interestingly, the one difference was the number one and number two. I put retention rate or churn rate first before customer lifetime value. And the reason for that is I like to talk about this concept of a leaky bucket, which I think most companies have and don't realize it, which are the customers that are coming on board and then are leaving you often without telling you why. And the drip, drip, drip of the leaky bucket is so critical and such a huge money loser for companies that it actually doesn't matter what your customer lifetime value is if you're losing customers every day. And so I always advise to people that that's the first thing you have to fix is you have to fix your retention rate or your churn rate. And once you get that in order, what you're going to find is the CLV is going to go up, your customer effort score is going to go down and people are going to think it's simpler and your NPS and your CSAT scores are going to go up. So I'm glad that we are so close to uh, each other on these. And hey, as Joey said... We love some of these. There's not really any that we can't stand. But we hope that you found this discussion valuable in terms of the metrics that you should be tracking at your company. And hey, if you agree or disagree with us, we would love to hear about it. Feel free to email us, dan at dangingus.com, joey at joeycoleman.com. Hit us up on social media or find any other way to reach us. We would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show... Yay, you! We're curious. Was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? 
If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience. Yes.